morning, the afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you cats and kittens are. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And tonight, we make our penultimate divisional stop of our 2021 NFL Draft Recap Series in the NFC East. This division was historically bad last season, with the Washington football team squeaking out a division title at 7-9. Did Washington, the Cowboys, Giants, or Eagles do enough in the 2021 NFL Draft to become the clear leader in this topsy-turvy division? To help us answer that question and a lot more is our good friend, man of many hats, Cole Thompson. What's happening, Cole? It's great to have you back on as always. Hey, man. I'm very happy to be back on the show. Very excited to be talking about the NFC East. Uh, Definitely a lot to discuss, not going to lie. There's uh, more storylines than I care to mention going into the season. Indeed, and we start off with the Philadelphia Eagles, who are on the cusp of a major roster rebuild. And it's amazing because it's uh, only been like... uh, Four years, uh, or, or if not uh, three years, since they uh, won the Super Bowl. So uh, things change fast at the NFL. And the Eagles, with their first-round pick, they traded up two spots with the division rival Cowboys, leapfrogging the division rival Giants to take Devontae Smith. Now, we all know about Devontae Smith. He was the 2020 Heisman Trophy winner, and despite his size, he does everything. And I mean everything you want a wide receiver to do. While I personally expect Devontae Smith to have at least a very good career, as in multiple Pro Bowls plus an All-Pro honor or two, the Eagles, at least in my view, could have done a lot better by beginning their rebuild with Justin Fields. Do you think the Eagles should have taken Justin Fields, or is Devontae Smith the kind of player you want to begin a roster overhaul with? You know, I think that there's kind of a mixed ground. If you don't believe in Jalen Hurts whatsoever, and again, it's really hard to say at this point if you don't believe in Jalen Hurts because... They tried to give him an opportunity. He only had five starts, but you also used a second-round pick on him in 2020. So you do have a little bit of money, and you do have a little bit of experience kind of backing him in. So if you believe that Jalen Hurts can get the job done, I have no problems with them passing on a quarterback here. But if you don't believe Jalen Hurts is the guy of the future, I'm not sure going into next season you're going to be in a good enough spot to get a quarterback that literally has everything Nick Sirianni is looking for in an offense, a guy who can be uh, someone in this RPO system, a guy who can really work well uh, across the open field, a guy who can be very effective on third down efficiency, is very good inside the pocket, and just needs a few mechanical tweaks in the right system to be able to take his game from probably a solid quarterback to, I would say, a consensus top 15 quarterback within years two, three, four of the NFL. So those are some questions that I do have, but with Devontae Smith, you're getting a clean route runner, you're getting a guy with good hands, you're getting a guy who has great jump ball ability, can win with speed, can win with his route running, is a physical player despite his frame, and if you get him a little bit heavier, I mean, he weighed in at about 178 at the pro at the Combine or the, the Alabama's Pro Day, you get him up to about 185. I think that he'll be in a really good spot to be able to make some moves, to be able to solidify himself as a top receiver, and that was a need for Philadelphia. I mean, no matter if it was Carson Wentz, no matter if it's Justin Fields, if it's Jalen Hurts, you need to get a true number one receiver to pair with Jalen Rager, who is very much known as a vertical option, and I would say a more premier possessional route runner. This feels like it was a done deal, a match made in heaven. I, didn't, I thought that that was always going to be the pick. I believe that Devontae was always going to be the guy they considered if they did not go defense. And because both the defensive backs were at the board with J.C. Horn going to Carolina and with uh, Patrick Chertain going to Denver, I think that they had to make sure that they were going to go get their next guy. And the next guy on the list, I think, was wide receiver. You at least now give Jalen Hurts an opportunity to be successful 
And with three first-round picks, just remember that. There's three first-round picks yes. next year if Carson Wentz plays in 75% of games. Maybe there's a way that if Jalen Hurts is not the guy, you can package a deal together to move up into the top five. If you're already picking in the top five, you're probably going to be able to land one of these guys like Sam Howell, like a uh, Spencer Rattler. Or you could potentially, if his name is cleared, trade all this draft capital to the Houston Texans and go land Deshaun Watson if you feel like you are a piece away being just the quarterback. I think all three of those moves can happen. And there is a downside going into next year on the wide receiver class. So to get a wide receiver in this year's class is very important. I think they found a really good one, Devonta Smith. He can play both the outside, the inside, the slot, a flanker role. He can be an X receiver. He can be a Z receiver. You can play him in a lot of different formations. So I think this is a very good move and one that the franchise need to make for Nick Sirianni more so than they need to make for Jalen Hurts. Yes, I completely agree with that point. Uh, Nick Sirianni, your first uh, draft pick as a head coach, you want to set the tone for what the culture looks like under you. And Devontae Smith is a quintessential uh, culture uh, player. So uh, very good pick in that regard. And in the second round, the Eagles, as they often do, rolled the dice on an extremely talented yet often injured player in Landon Dickerson, a teammate of Devontae Smith's at uh, Alabama. And after the pick was made, many, if not most, said that Landon Dickerson would redshirt this season and then replace Jason Kelsey as the Eagles' center of the future in 2022. However, they announced him as a guard at the draft. And Chris Trapasso, our mutual friend and lead NFL draft analyst at CBS Sports, believes that he's a better bet at guard. If you were the Eagles, where would you plan to play Landon Dickerson? I think if he's going to play this year, which is, again, it's a big if because he is coming off of that, uh, you know, that torn ACL happening literally in the very last, in the SEC championship game. So no one knows if he's going to be ready this season to come in and start right away. But if he can, I mean, I would play him at guard just to start out. I mean, it's easier for me to transition into a, you know, a guard that is a, a center or a tackle. But what I will say is, he is one of the smartest football players on the field. He has an IQ that beats no other. And he's played in multiple different formations under Willie Taggart, under um, a Jimbo Fisher, under uh, Steve Sarkeesian, under Nick Saban. He's been around multiple different offenses to where he's going to be able to pick up, plug and play, and fill in right away. Now, again, if he's redshirting this year and Jason Kelsey is set to either retire or leave him free agency, then I could see giving him a shot at center before, you know, kind of moving off of that position. But at the same time, if you're trying to play him right away, I think guard is the best bet for him. And I also do wonder, he's had four straight season-ending injuries. Does that play a factor into what Nick Sirianni and what the offense of Shane Steichen are going to do this year? Are they going to want durability? Do they think that that's a durability issue? If that's the case, Guard may be his best home because you need to have someone who is very durable and very smooth coming out of his break, as uh, as everyone else from initial snap. If Dickerson can't be that guy, then I think you got to play him at guard. But if he can, he has an IQ and he has the frame and he has all the intangibles you want in an all-pro center. Just He has those injuries. That's the biggest problem. Oh, absolutely. And that was the only reason why he fell out of the first round. Heck, if it weren't for the injuries, he could have been the first interior offensive lineman taken in this draft class period uh, ahead of Elijah Vera Tucker. And uh, with their third round pick, the Eagles went back to the trenches and took a favorite of several notable voices on draft Twitter, Louisiana Tech defensive tackle Milton Williams. That said, Williams was introduced as a defensive end in the draft. Is the long-term outlook for Milt Williams as a potential replacement for Fletcher Cox at defensive tackle, 
Or can you see him as a replacement for Brandon Graham at defensive end in base packages while kicking inside in sub packages? You know, I think he's going to be very similar to what Aaron Donald did at the very start of his career. They were in a 4-3 defense for most of the time that Donald was in St. Louis before they moved out to Los Angeles. And with that being the case, he played a lot of defensive end. He played a lot of three-tech, a lot of four-eye-tech. Somebody who was a pass rusher but really played more inside because they have the guys on the outside and Robert Quinn and Michael Brockers. So they were able to use that defensive line in their favor. I think that Milton Williams is kind of in that same spot where you probably are going to play him more as, in the, as a defensive tackle. You're never going to play him as a nose tackle. You're never going to play him you know, over the center. What you're going to do is you're going to have him be a one-gap guy playing against Vinnie Curry, playing against um, – uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Derek Barnett, uh, have them be the guy on the outside and him kind of work his way in as an additional interior pass rusher. Now, that will be the biggest thing of all is that if he can gain a little bit more weight, he's coming in to replace Fletcher Cox as a long-term option. If they slim him down a little bit more, because I think he's weighing around about now 305 or 300 right on the dot, or just a little under 300, uh, I think that you're probably going to see him plead the replacement for Vinny Curry. A guy who reminds me a lot of is Mario Edwards Jr. for the Chicago Bears, a guy who does a really good job playing a more defensive end position in a 3-4 set, but knows how to add pressure to a backfield. That's where his strengths are. He's an athletic machine. He's somebody who is based literally all of his numbers are athletically off the chart for a defensive tackle. It's a really good find for Jonathan Gaynon's system. And I will say, adding Gaynon, a guy coming from Indianapolis who has the ability to learn under Matt Eberflus. If they're going to run a very similar formation as what Matt Eberflus does, I could see him being a smaller version of what DeForest Buckner does. Straight up bull rusher at that three-tech uh, three position and making a big-time impact, uh, I would say, literally every single play that he's out there, especially in a division that has, I think, a little bit of a weaker offensive line. And from the city of brotherly love to Big D and the Dallas Cowboys, the Cowboys uh, began the draft uh, trading back two spots. And after they did that, they began their defensive heavy draft with Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons. While linebacker was a pretty big needed Big D given Jalen Smith's inconsistencies and Leighton Van Der Esch's inability to stay healthy, several people whose opinions I value did not view Micah Parsons as high as many in the NFL and media did. Did you consider Micah Parsons to be the best defensive prospect of this draft class? Um, no, I didn't. I did not think he was the best. I did have him top three, but I thought J.C. Horn was the best defensive player in this draft class. I very much was high on J.C. Horn from the very start. Maybe it's my SEC ties. Maybe it's because of I always envisioned what Joe Horn would look like as a defensive back, and it literally is what J.C. is. But I believe personally that every single play – that J.C. Horn made an impact, you kind of forgot about him because he was playing on a weaker South Carolina team. And I think that Micah Parsons, as good as he is, was going to be a little overhyped because if he was missing time with co- uh, because of COVID-19 when he decided to opt out. But I thought that Patrick Sertain was also a little bit better than him overall. And with the more value at cornerback than there was at linebacker, especially off-ball linebacker today, I think that both of them are a little bit more important to what schemes are looking for what defenses are looking for is having a game-changing cornerback really can help your defense be solidified. Having a uh, downsided, you know, having an upside linebacker when you run a lot of now two-base linebackers, you know, it, it is a big deal. And I think that it does matter, but it's not as important. But also, he went to a team that had two off-ball linebackers already 
one of which they declined his fifth-year option late in Van Der Esch, but they still are believing they can get a deal done with him in the long term. And the other one with Jalen Smith, who signed a five-year extension you know, just two years ago. So I didn't really like the fit. I didn't really like the pick. But I also will say that to say Parsons is a bad player doesn't make sense. To say it's a bad fit location maybe is. More so because of, again, this is a perfect situation where Dallas panicked. And when they did not know what they were going to do, I think everyone kind of had that feeling. All three of their guys were off the board. Everyone was kind of blown back by the J.C. Horn pick by Carolina. And when that happened, that's when you see in-division trades happen. That's when you see these teams calling rivals to go help them out because of they have no idea who they're going to pick, and they don't want to overreach for a player. So instead, what you do is you trade back with a division rival. That's exactly what happened. Dallas Pan is going to get Micah Parsons. Uh, yes, and uh, in the short term, it's uh, going to be hard for him to distinguish himself, as you mentioned, especially if uh, Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, stay on board. But uh, in the long run, uh, this is what makes Parsons a bit of a risk, is that he could either become the best linebacker in the league in three years, or he could be out of the league entirely in three years due to his character concerns. How bullish are you on Micah Parsons and his potential in the National Football League? Oh, he's got great potential, and I think that the biggest thing about him is that you can't really just label him an off-ball linebacker. I literally think that right now, when you look at Micah Parsons, he's an edge rusher. He can play the pass. He can play the run. He can do a little bit of everything. But at the same time, we got to find a way to get him on the field because I think more so in Dan Quinn's defense, what are you going to do? Are you going to go ahead and play Keanu Neal now at safety? You brought him in to play at Will Linebacker, but now that you have him there, are you going to move Leighton Vanderesh now back to Mike? Are you going to move Jalen Smith to Will? Is Parsons going to play your Sam? I mean, literally, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this, but Parsons got to first off win the battle in camp right now for Dan Quinn. After that, he's got to be able to start showing that he can be an effective three-down player. But all the intangibles are there for him to be a very successful linebacker in the NFL, if not a top-five linebacker going into his third season. And in the second round, the Cowboys addressed the position they initially hoped to address in the first round, corner. They had their eyes set on both J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan, had the intention of taking uh, one of them, or which one was available at 10, but uh, both of them were off the board by 10, and that's why they traded back, as you said. And uh, they were able to go corner the second round, though, with Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky. And like Michael Parsons, Kelvin Joseph had some off-field red flags, but you also cannot deny his freakish athleticism. If he keeps his head on straight, just how high is the ceiling of Kelvin Joseph? Yeah, I would say it's pretty high. I very much like him, especially for this more zone defensive front that they're going to run in Dallas. I very much think that he's going to the right formation, he's going to the right system, and a team that I thought would be really high on Kelvin Joseph was a team that Dan Quinn used to coach for in the Seattle Seahawks. They were looking for a true number one cornerback, and they really needed to go out and get a guy who could be a game changer in the secondary. Instead, Dallas lands him with Dan Quinn, and this is a really good fit. He also does not have to play the number one quarterback role because Trevon Diggs is already there. And even though Trevon Diggs had some struggles overall, he played pretty well for a second-round pick going to a team that seemed ready to win now and go all, all in with Mike Nolan and expect that this was going to be the system that was going to work. So I view this situation as one that is kind of mixed, but more so Joseph has everything you're looking for for a zone-based defense, and for him to go to Dallas to possibly pair off against, uh, you know, with Trevon Diggs, I think they made some good moves in the secondary overall, but I very much do believe, as of right now, adding him to this defense makes Dallas' defense better. But again, 
He's got to stay off the field. He's got to stay on the field. He cannot get off the field instance happening because if he's already on a tight leash, everyone knows his instance at LSU. Everyone knows about, you know, what made his draft stock hurt. But overall, he was a very underrated cornerback in the SEC. And that's coming from somebody who literally has studied all the SEC players. I very much liked his game. I thought he was a top 50 player in this class. So good value to go get him in the second round. And even though they may not have gotten a cornerback that they wanted in the first round, they got a really high upside player in round two. They most certainly did, and the Cowboys had three picks in the third round, and again, used all of them on defense with a UCLA defensive tackle, Osa Odigizua, Iowa defensive end, Chauncey Golston, and Oregon State corner, Nashawn Wright. Which of those three is the likeliest to grow into a longtime contributor for the Cowboys? I don't use I mean, I think that overall, when you look at somebody who can be a bull-rushing three-technique, tech, uh, three Somebody who does a really good job of closing gaps. Somebody who can be really effective on third down, especially against the run or the pass. I think that his best skills, though, are as a pass rusher. And if he can really develop into a more full-fledged three-down player, I think that adding an interior pass rusher is almost as important as having a great edge rusher. So to be able to have him up the middle is really important. So I very much like this. For I think that he's going to be the one to watch for uh, yes, and uh, the Cowboys drafted a defensive tackle in the third round in 2020 as well in uh, Neville Gallimore. Uh, do you think Osa Odigizua will beat Neville Gallimore out for uh, more snaps this season? No, but I do think that the, t- the leash is tight on both him and Tristan Hill. That's the thing. I think that both these players were not drafted by uh, were not drafted by Dan Quinn. So if Dan Quinn doesn't like these players, then they're going to be on a tight leash. And I do think that. Uh, um, Adigizawa did have a big factor into what he was looking for to try and find his Grady Jarrett 2.0 down in Big D. Oh, very good point there. And now on to the New York football giants, who in a move nobody expected, they traded down in the first round after the Eagles snuck up and stole Devontae Smith from them. They ended up at 20 overall, um, uh, trading back with the Bears, who obviously went up and got Justin Fields, and they selected another weapon for Daniel Jones in Florida wide receiver Kadarius Toney, and some didn't understand this pick given the presence of Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton on the roster, but what those people either forgot or just don't know is that Florida didn't list Toney at any position. How does Kadarius Toney fit into the Giants offense this season, and what is the best way for Jason Garrett to utilize his skill set? I think that overall you want to use him in a slot position naturally, but I think in these gadget roles, these guys like the Curtis Samuels, the guys like the Miko Hardman, the guys like who are more so not just running, I mean, not just wide receivers, but they can do a lot with jet sweeps, a lot with motions. That's where you're going to want to use them. Short yardage situations to be the security blanket, that short third down guy. I think if you really build that way, you're going to have a really good formation to where you have a good slot receiver in Sterling Shepard. You have a good vertical threat in Darius Slayton. You have a very good possessional receiver in, in um, a Kenny Galladay. So you have some weapons. Then you have a flex tight end in Evan Ingram, and you have a regular tight end in Kyle Rudolph. So to be able to add a guy like Kadarius Tony in that speed, that pure adrenaline speed that really is dangerous in that second and third level defenses, that's where I think Jason Garrett's going to be able to get the most out of him. And I think that's really good is that Tony doesn't have to come in and be the big um, the, the big name in his year one. They have Sterling Shepard already there. He's going to be a guy who is used in a meticular way, and that way is going to make New York's offense even better for Daniel Jones in year three. And even better for Kadarius Tony's long-term development. He still has to add a lot of dimensions to his game, and uh, putting him in a role that he's most comfortable with in year one, I think bodes well for him long-term. 
Yeah, I would say so. I think that having that back, you know, that backing sport and allowing him to find his niche, not having to be the X factor on a team, you're one in the NFL is really going to do dividends for him. Yeah, it definitely is. And in the second round, the Giants not only got a potential steal, they addressed arguably the lone remaining weak spot on their defense, a very underrated defense, which was edge, with Georgia's Aziz Ojolari. What does Aziz Ojolari bring to the Giants' edge pass rush that nobody else currently on the roster does? Uh, I think he's just straight up a good pass rusher. I mean, you got to look at this defense under Patrick Graham. They're trying to find guys who are a little bit more faster. They're trying to find guys who are a little bit more effective on third down, guys who can play the run. And Ojolari can do a little bit of everything. I mean, every single time I look at what Ojolari's tape is, he does a little bit of everything. Now, he's not a finished product. That's the biggest thing. He still has some holes when it comes to pass rushing. He does. He still has some holes when it comes to uh, uh, trying to close the gap on blitzes. He still has some holes in a lot of different areas. But there's a lot of upside to him. And I think that pure speed and that young age, he's, got a, he's basically a molding clay. The biggest thing of all is his bend. He has a really good bend that allows him to work up the field and make plays consistently off the edge. That's something that I think you can't teach. You just either have that body or you don't. And I think that that's something that you have to look at. And now on to the reigning division champion Washington football team, who at 19 overall selected who Ron Rivera hopes will be his beltway version of Luke Keekley, so to speak, in Jamin Davis. And on the NFL Network broadcast, Daniel Jeremiah compared Davis to Colts All-Pro linebacker Darius Leonard. And comparison aside, is it right to hype up Jabin Davis as a sneaky good bet for Defensive Rookie of the Year? He could have 120-plus tackles play behind that defensive line, for crying out loud. Yeah, I, I would say right now he is the leader of – he's my pick for, uh, for uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, I would say when you look at what this defensive line is, when you look at what this defense is, uh, when you look at what this overall team is, I very much think that he is a guy who is getting the best benefit out of this. You're not going to be seeing many guys play behind a top five defensive line and be able to make a lot of plays consistently. And when you look at what he needs and what you know you need to see him develop as, he's an athletic linebacker. He's one of these new, not hybrid defenders, but he's definitely a guy who's a three-down thumper, but he's got great outside speed. He can play the run. He can play the pass. I think he's a very effective blitzer when it comes to actually getting in the backfield and causing pressure, maybe not in the stack total. I think that overall he is a good player to watch, and he has the best bet because that defensive line to finish with over 100 tackles in his first year. And in the second round, Washington addressed its spotty offensive tackle position with Samuel Cosme out of Texas. And since Cosme was selected, Washington has signed Charles Leno, who will start at left tackle, yet released right tackle Morgan Moses, putting Cosby in competition with, I believe, Cornelius Lucas, correct me if I'm wrong, for the starting right tackle spot. How good of a chance does Samuel Cosby have at winning that battle in training camp in preseason? I would say a good one. Ron Rivera has actually spoken to the media multiple times and said, I did not draft Sam Cosby to be sitting behind a player for long. You don't use a second-round pick without seeing them be developing very soon. So I think that there's a very good shot. He at least gets a chance to play. The biggest thing of all that a lot of people like about him is he's super athletic. He's one of these guys who has a great bend, great agility, can win with these faster pass rushers. I very much think that that's where you got, kind of got him. And his home to me is more so on the right side. You want that guy who can be super athletic to pair, pair well with a good left tackle. And I think that overall what he needs to do is he's a lot better as a run blocker. And, in fact, here's a fun stat. He was, by pro football focus, the only player in this year's draft class outside of Christian Darasaw 
to finish with an 85 or higher in both run and pass protection. So this is a guy who can do a little bit of everything. Washington is trying to expand their running game with Antonio Gibson. They're trying to get a little bit more elevated in the passing game. So I just think that when you look at what he needs, I believe personally he is going to a team that has a good swing tackle with Lucas. But if he can get on the field right away, and if a guy like um, like uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick can hit right away, Washington, once again, is going to be in that conversation to be a 10-win team. I mean, 7-9 last year with four different quarterbacks. If Fitzpatrick can be the stable guy, I really think that they could be a 10-11-win team and a really big team to you know, not, be, not be messing around with, especially when it comes to playoff time. Oh, I completely agree. The Washington football team is a team that I personally very bullish on this season as well. And with their second of two third-round picks, Washington selected somebody who was rumored to sneak into the bottom tier of the first round in North Carolina wide receiver Deami Brown. And Deami Brown currently finds himself in a logjam for that third wide receiver spot on the depth chart behind Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. Do you think he can assume that wide receiver three role later this season, or is his best chance at the job likely in 2022? Kind of a mix. You know, I think that there's a lot to really think about because of I view what Deami Brown is doing as somebody who is a good vertical threat. A guy maybe doesn't have that 4-2 speed, that 4-3 speed, but what he does have is stability and production showing that he can be a a very good threat on 20-plus yards or more. That's an area where Washington really struggled last season, where they only had guys, I think it was nine passes of 20-plus yards or more downfield, and eight of them went to Terry McLaurin. So they want to go at a guy who can take the top of the most defenses. For the past two years, Deami Brown averaged over 20 yards per catch at North Carolina, that's going to be his role. He's going to be that vertical guy. You're going to have Adam Humphreys be the guy who plays in the slot. You're going to have Curtis Samuel be the do-it-all guy. You're going to have the possessional target in uh, Terry McLaurin. And then you're going to have Deami Brown be that vertical option, somebody who can come in for a couple plays and take the, uh, take the roof off of every single defense right away. I think that's going to be something that will be very beneficial to this team, especially in Scott Turner's offense. They're trying to expand the offense down the field. Getting a guy like Deami Brown, somebody who has proven time and time again that he can be a vertical option. Got to get a little bit better as a route runner. Got to add a little bit more to the route running tree. But I think that he is in a very good spot to be very successful. Probably six touchdowns on the year, maybe 500 yards, maybe 40 catches. But each of those catches are going to be for 10-plus yards down the field. He is Cole Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, man of many hats. To access his work, follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. And Cole... Now it's time to play one of our favorite games on the show. It's called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I will uh, read a statement about a prospect drafted by an NFC East team that we have not discussed yet. And you tell me whether you think I'm telling the truth or whether I'm telling an exaggeration and why. Starting with the Eagles. Kenneth Gainwell will immediately assume the Naheem Hines role in Nick Sirianni's offense. Truth or exaggeration? I don't go right away, so slight exaggeration, but that's where they drafted him. They got the guy to be the Naheem Hines for Nick Sirianni. Again, look at what Hines did the last two years when Sirianni was the play caller in Indianapolis. Great weapon, great guy who works well in the open field and can add a little bit to special teams. So that is going to be his role. But I do think that they are going to use a multitude of players in that backfield, and that will be his only role for uh, for this new offense under uh, Nick Sirianni. I, I definitely think that there's – a little exaggeration, but not as much as many people probably are thinking. And on to the Giants. Aaron Robinson will find himself buried as the fifth or sixth corner on the Giants' depth chart all season long. Truth or exaggeration? 
exaggeration for season long, but not exaggeration for the start of the year. They're, they're still believing in Sam Beal. They're still trying to figure out what they have with other guys. They still have um, uh, James Bradbury on the roster. So I do wonder what they are going to do and who they are going to trot out week one. But I do think you don't use a third-round pick on Aaron Robinson if you do not believe that he can be a guy with a lot of upside and potentially even starting potential going into the end of the season. So exaggeration for the season as a whole, not exaggeration for the start of the year. And moving on to the Cowboys. If Dallas is unable to re-sign Michael Gallup after this season, Simi Fajoko will take its place in 2022. Truth or exaggeration? Uh, for now, I say true. This is a guy who plays the game very similar. Got a, got a very good speed, got some ability to be a, uh, more of a deep threat for this offense, a guy who can work well on the outside, a guy who has some physicality to him. I think that they're going to try to make him the Michael Gallup, but I do think that they're going to want to see something out of him in this season before saying we are going to make him the next Michael Gallup. That, so truth with slight exaggeration based on how his role will work in 2021. And last but not least, with the Washington football team, Benjamin St. Juiced will eventually become the third quarter on Washington's depth chart and thus a de facto starter at some point this season. 100% true. Not even close to being a fa- uh, being false. I think that what, you know, you look at Jack Del Rio's defense, he wants to run a lot of big nickel. He wants to run a lot of three safety formation. He wants to do a lot of these things. And I view this as a upside of where you can now move Kendall Fuller, who played the start of his career inside as a nickel, either the nickel or a safety. Or you can move St. Juice, a guy who's six foot three, and is considered one of these hybrid players, not a safety, not a straight corner. You can make him a big nickel inside. Washington's secondary is highly underrated. And with the return of Landon Collins, who's going to be playing strong safety for at least the start of the season, I very much think that they could be in a situation to where they have a lot of good defensive backs, and they're going to try to do as much as possible to get them on the field. But I've been watching Washington camp extensively, and St. Juice has been the standout without a doubt for any single rookie and for most defensive players under Jack Del Rio going into the second season. And last but not least, Cole, before we let you go, we're going to play another game called Absolutes. Yeah, this game is pretty simple. We're going to just name your favorite pick, the most puzzling pick, yada, 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 in the entire NFC East, starting with your favorite pick. Who was your favorite 2021 draft pick in the NFC East? Ooh, that's pretty tough. Um, I will say Jamin Davis, for what they're looking for in Washington, for a thumper athletic linebacker, for him to go to a team to where he will probably start week one, but he still is going to be a little flawed. To have the backing of that defensive line is only going to give him more time to develop to where he does not need to be a full-fledged starter right away. I think that was a brilliant move by Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, and again, the linebackers coach, Jack Del Rio, and Ron Rivera all played linebacker in the NFL. So to have that backing support and have that knowledge to play that position, that middle linebacker position, every single one of these guys has played that role. To have that is so important for a guy who is almost there, but just needs a little bit refinement to be a potential top 10 linebacker. I very much like that pick. Who was the most puzzling pick in the NFC East of the 2021 NFL draft? Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. It's Micah Parsons. I mean, I get it. I do. But that is a panic move. When you trade with an in-division rival, when you have to go out and make a move to go get somebody and you add a linebacker, which also you added Jabril Cox for that reason. So 
You added even another linebacker when you had these linebackers on staff. That was the biggest puzzling move of all. I would have I gone with Greg Newsome at that point, and even though it would have been an overreach, I still would have gotten my cornerback of the future. Who was the biggest day three steal in the NFC East of the 2021 NFL Draft? You know, from everything that I'm seeing on camp right now, I got to go with John Bates. I very much think that John Bates is going to be a really quality number two tight end in Washington. And what I like about him is that he's got good hands, he's a good blocker, and he can make a lot of plays uh, in the flex position as well. So you have Logan Thomas and you have John Bates. If you're playing a 12-man personnel, you now can have a two tight end formation that allows you to run the ball a little bit more. It allows you to be a little bit more creative on offensive play design. I did not like to pick initially, but now that uh, minicamp is going on and OTAs are going on, that's a pick that I very much think is going to be really interesting. The other one I will say is Kenneth Gainwell. If Nick Sirianni uses him in a very similar way to what Naheem Pines is, I think that's going to be a really, really good pick down the line. So a tie for a day three steal between John Bates, a tight end who uh, went to Washington, and uh, Kenneth Gainwell, running back who went to the Eagles. Who do you think is going to be the best offensive rookie in the NFC East in 2021? Uh, hmm, offensive rookie in the NFC East 2021. I'm going to go smart. I'm going to go Devonta Smith. I, I think that even though they don't know what they're going to do with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, I still believe that uh, they're going to be in a really good spot for having that connection that, that, that Jalen and Devonta already have. I'm not going to say he's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver, but I could see at least 700 yards in the season. And last but certainly not least, how about best defensive rookie in the NFC East in 2021? And we've beaten uh, the Jamin Davis horse to death, so to speak. So if you could think of anybody other than Jamin Davis for that distinction, who would it be? Uh, I already mentioned him, Benjamin St. Juice. I really do like that pick. I really do think that having that hybrid kind of defender who can play inside, outside, be a big nickel, be in dime formation, play the outside cornerback role, it allows you to be more effective on that defense. And Washington's defense is going to be a big reason why I believe that they can win the NFC East in 2021. So I think that's going to be a really big contribution is having another hybrid player who can do a little bit of everything inside and out. Cole Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, man of many hats. Catch his work at fadsighted.com and what other places, Cole? Uh, SI.com. SI.com as well, and lots of other places in addition to that. But if you want to catch them all, as I said, follow him at Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter. Cole, thank you so much once again for donating your amazing time and football knowledge to our program. But that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. Yet we still have a lot of exciting, and I mean exciting, new episodes coming your way this month. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Cole. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 or Instagram now at sportscrunch with dcrom. For Cole Thompson, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and folks... All 32 NFL stadiums will be allowed to be at full capacity this fall, but if you don't want to wear a mask to the game, please get vaccinated if you haven't done so yet. Take care, cats, kittens, and stay cool.